All right. Good morning, familia. Could you do me a favor? Could you please stand uh, for the reading of God's Word? We're going to be reading from 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to read three verses, verses 6, verse 9, and verse 10. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, verses 9 and 10. This is the Word of the Lord. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Lord, I pray that you speak to us this morning. This is the topic that we are addressing today. It might be a complicated topic for many of us. Not because it's a complicated topic, Lord, but because of our hearts. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you illuminate our minds, that you give us the gift of understanding and the gift of repentance. Allow us to see that everything that we so much want, we already have in Jesus Christ. We pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And the church says, you may be seated. Um, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Hannibal Rodriguez, one of the teaching pastors here at church. And I want to welcome you again. It is truly a blessing for you uh, to allow us to be with you here today as we worship together and learn about what the scripture has to say about life in general. For the last uh, six weeks, we, are, we have been doing a seven-part week series called The Weapons of Self-Destruction, and we have been talking about seven sins that when they take control of our hearts and our minds and our affections have the power to make our lives miserable, and they have the power to make the lives of the people we love miserable. Uh, seven sins that if we don't deal with them, they shape our character and eventually lead us to destruction. That's why we called this series Weapons of Self-Destruction. Today we're talking about sin number six, and we're going to be talking about greed. All right, so because this is a family, that's what the, our, our sending people just said. Uh, how many of you guys think that you struggle with greed? Please raise your hand. All right, so half of the group. Now, by the end of the sermon, I want to see if it's half of the group or more than that. I hope that it's more than that because if not, the sermon is not going to work. So the idea here is that for us, uh, we got to take the time to actually think, what is, it, what is it that the Bible says that we struggle with greed? Now, let me tell you why is it that I think that we got to talk about this topic. I have been a pastor for about... 15 years. Um, I'm 43, so I became a pastor at age 38. Um, for the first six years, I just want to see if you guys were paying attention. For the first six years, um, I was a pastor for youth and young adults. Um, and then about, and then after that, I became a pastor for adults of all kinds of ages, people in their 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s and even 90s because we got people here in, the, in their 90s. Um, what is interesting, though, is that throughout my years as a pastor, pastoring young people and young adults and adults, not once 
I have ever heard. Listen up, people. Not once I have ever heard anybody telling me something like, man, Hannibal, you start, I, I'm struggling with greed. Not once. See, part of my job is to talk to people, right? That we, in church language, we say to shepherd people, right? So we talk about life, and we talk about the Bible, and we talk about God, but we also talk about internal struggles, and not one person in 15 years of ministry has ever told anybody tell me, I'm a greedy, I'm greedy. Nobody has ever told me, Pastor, I need help. I need help. I'm, I make myself sick of how generous I am. Nobody has ever told me that. You know what's even worse? I have never told anybody how greedy I am. Part of the reason is, um, is that we have a preconception of what greedy looks like. I think that part of the problem is that we have a preconception of what a greedy person looks like. And when you have a preconception of what a greedy person looks like, when you compare yourself to that person, of course you're not greedy. The second reason why I think we, this is not something that we talk about much is because greediness has, greediness ha have the ability to blind you to the reality of your heart. The very thing that we can see in other people it's so hard to see in ourselves. That's why we need to talk about this topic. So if you are visiting church for the first time, you say, well, man, this was the worst Sunday to come to church. But don't worry, I'm not going to ask you for money. Today. <laughs> and yet, we got to talk about this. So these are my three points for today. Defining greed, exposing greed, Killing greed. Defining greed is because we need to have a biblical definition of what greed is. Exposing greed because we need to know how is it that greed actually operates in our hearts. And killing greed is because I believe that the gospel gives you the freedom to learn to kill greed every time it shows up. Defining greed, exposing greed, and killing greed. Let's go with the first one, defining greed. Why is it, this is the question, why is it that it's so hard for anybody to identify greed? And I think that it has to do with the definition. I want to start by giving you what, a definition of what, greedy, what greediness is not. All right? So, for example, greed is not working hard to earn money. Actually, the Bible calls you to work hard. You were created to work. If you don't like to work, you have a bigger issue. We are called to provide for our families. The problem is not working or earning money. That's not the problem. Greed is not you saving money or investing money in wise ways. The book of Proverbs, uh, Proverbs, for example, says that we are supposed to be wise as we save money for the different seasons of, in life. There's no problem with that. Greed is not wanting certain things. Nothing wrong with you wanting things. But there's got to be a difference between wanting and an obsession. Greed is not having wealth. The Bible is full of people, wealthy people. 
that they use their money right. Actually, a few months ago, I was reading a book uh, in church history, which I know that you will find extremely boring, but I like it. Um, and I was learning about John Wesley's ministry. John Wesley was, uh, was the leader of the revival in, uh, in England in the 1700s. What is interesting is that his ministry was funded by wealthy Christians. So there has never been anything wrong with money. There has never been anything wrong with people having money. There has never been anything wrong with people who are working for money, saving money, investing money. That's not the problem. So if you have money, you shouldn't feel guilty. If you're working hard to get money, you shouldn't feel guilty. If you're saving money and investing money, you shouldn't feel guilty. If God has given you a lot, you shouldn't feel guilty. On the other hand, though, we need to understand what greed, what greed is. So I'm going to give you a simple definition. And we have talked about this in church before, but I, uh, it is a very simple definition. Greed is not about possessing money or things. Greed is when money or things possess you. Greed is when those things control you to the point that it makes you feel miserable if you don't have anything else. Let me say it again. Greed is when money and things possess you, control you to the point that you, that you feel miserable if you don't have what you want. That's a good definition, simple definition of what greediness looks like. And the reason why I'm saying they gave you that brief definition is because what we see in this text, and I'm going to walk you through it, especially in verses 9 and 10. Look at what it says right at the beginning. There are four, uh, four phrases in verses 9 and 10, and each phrase gives you uh, a definition of what greed is. The first phrase is people that want to get rich. Now, the word want there is a very important word because it's not just wanting something. It's when you want something so and so bad that it affects your emotions, and once it affects your emotions, affects your will. It's when you want something, when you want money and things so and so bad that it controls your will. The second phrase that we find there is harmful desires, which is really interesting here because it's the word desires here, and this is another word that we use in the Bible all the, in the church all the time, but it's when you grab something that is good or even beneficial but that your heart wants it so and so bad that it takes away your peace, it takes away your joy, it makes you a worry, it, it, um, it gets you worried, and it keeps you awake at night. This is, this is a good definition. If you want to check how, how much you're struggling with this, all you have to do is pay attention to the things that take away your peace, that take away your joy, that makes you worry, and that keeps you awake awake at night and for many of us that's probably things and it's probably money well verse 10 gives us another two phrases love of money what i want you to see here is that the word love in the text is the same word in the original that we use to covet and if you don't know the definition of the word covet is really simple which is one of the commandments, by the way. But when you covet, is when you want something that you don't have, that other people have. And that because you don't have it, you don't feel joy for the things they have that you don't have. 
to the point that you're miserable because they're happy and you're not happy. And, he, and the text says, Paul says, that greed is like that. Not only that you're miserable because you don't have the money you want and the things you want, but you cannot be happy for the people that have the things that you don't have. And the next phrase is the phrase eager for money. Now, it's interesting because in the original, the word eager can be translated at like obsessed. That's where I get the word obsessed from. But it's also, it can also be translated as this uncontrollable desire. Or a control, uncontrollable craving. Now, let, let me use this illustration to make my point here. If you have been pregnant, or how many of you guys have been pregnant? All right, how many of you guys know a person that have been, that have been pregnant? All right. There is this theory that says that pregnant women go through this season of cravings. Now, I have two daughters, and I saw that my wife went through this craving season. So it was like 3 o'clock in the morning, and my wife says, oh, yeah, I want ice cream. Right? And because I'm trying to be a good husband, um, you know, I'll get up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and I'll go get whatever she wanted because that's what pregnant women want. But to be honest, I, there was always a part of me that felt that that was an exaggeration on her part. <laughs> you know, and I, 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 I actually heard some men saying that um, they went through this craving season, which I thought, well, that's dumb. How am I going to get craving if she's the one pregnant? That's not a thing. I actually thought that it was men taking advantage of the situation. One night, people, 11.30 p.m., living in Chicago because that's where cool people live. <laughs> I'm looking at my wife. I'm saying, oh, you're so beautiful. You are so pregnant. I'm sorry. <laughs> and then I feel this thing that I want a Chicago-style hot dogs. <laughs> Listen, that night I understood that maybe it was an exaggeration on my part. Maybe I was taking uh, advantage of the situation. But man, I experienced what a craving feels like. And I couldn't control it. And I left my house and I found myself a couple of hot dogs. And I did that for five days in a row. <laughs> <laughs> and Paul says that that's what greed looks like. Eager for something to the point that you cannot control it. And you're willing to drive at 3 o'clock in the morning to get what you need. Greed is not something that we play with. Notice here that greed at the end of the day is about wanting too much and trusting too much. Wanting money too much. Trusting what money gives us too much. This is how Rebecca the Young, this author, puts it. Greed is an excessive, excessive love of or desire for money or any possession that money can buy. 
Listen to Tim Keller. The love of money is so dangerous that it can kill you when you have a lot and it can kill you when you don't have enough. That's the reason why we, we got to talk about it. Because it doesn't have to do with anything with the amount of money you have. You can have a lot, a lot and struggle with this. You don't have enough and you struggle with this. So let me ask the question again. How many of you struggle with greed? Could you please raise your, raise your hand? Yeah, 70%. Let me do more work here. <laughs> Let's go to the second point. Uh, exposing greed. This is the thing with this, this is the, the, the thing with this sin. Is that not only you need to understand what the definition is, but you need to understand how this sin operates. Anyone knows that if you want to defeat your enemy, you must know how this sin or this enemy operates. And what I want you to see here is that greed is gradual. And someone has called it that it's like a violent chain reaction. And everything starts with a temptation. Now, this is what I want you to pay attention here. You are only tempted by the things that you already have inside. Let me say that again. You are only tempted by the things that you already have inside. Your internal struggles are the ones that cause you to be tempted. So if you are struggling with money, if you want money too much, if you want things too much, it's because in your heart you already want money too much, trust money too much. What makes it difficult uh, is that our culture, is, it's a culture that is designed to make you want more and need more. That's the problem with our culture. That's the problem with the Western world. We are in a culture and in a place that is designed by nature to make you feel and think that you need more and that you want more. There's always a new uh, and improved something. There's always something that is better, a new, a better house, a better house, uh, a better car, a better job. There's something, something better. That's part of the reason, and I know that some of the sisters here are going to get offended by this, but I, there's a reason why you struggle with coupons. No, seriously, pay attention here. I think they're evil. <laughs> it's not that coupons are evil. But the problem with coupons is that they give you such a discount that it makes you feel that you need the things that they promote. That's the same thing with the specials. You go to the mall just to walk around, but you see this crazy special, and out of a sudden, you feel that you need those shoes. So our culture is designed like that. Think of Burger King, for example. Burger King has this phrase that says, you get to have it your way. And everything inside of me says, I like to have it my way. <laughs> Therefore, I pursue the Whopper. This delicious and amazing Whopper. 20 pounds later, I regret it. <laughs> Think of a cereal, for example. There's a cereal on TV that says, this is the breakfast for champions. And here I have my daughters looking at this athlete eating this cereal that I bet you he's only eating it for the commercial because that cereal is nasty. <laughs> and I could almost hear my daughters inside say, I want to be a champion. 
Now, if you transfer that to adult life, it's exactly the same. We live in a culture in which everything starts with a temptation. And you're tempted because that's what you already have. The problem is that once you embrace this temptation, it becomes a trap. In other words, that very thing gets a hold of your heart. The word trap in the original could literally be translated as set a tent in your heart. It gets a grip of your heart. It becomes something that you truly, truly need, that you truly, truly want, that you cannot live without. It goes from temptation to a trap to harmful desires. So when, when it becomes a, a harmful desires, it's because that very thing became an idol to you. And once it becomes an idol to you, you become a slave to that thing. Money and possessions. And money and possessions speak to you. And they tell you, you want me. You need me. If you get me, I will make you feel superior. If you get me, I will give you significance. If you get me, I will, I will make you feel secure. If you give me, if you get me, I will give you control. And this is the irony when you're dealing with idols, is that you never feel that you're doing anything wrong. But you cannot live without it. And they demand more of you, and the more you pursue, the more you want, and the less satisfied you are. From temptations to trap to harmful desires to ruin and destruction. What this means is this, that greed has the potential to affect you both morally and spiritually. Let me tell you why. Because you start to sacrifice the people you love for it. And because you exchange people for things. Or you exchange people for dreams. Or you exchange people for goals. And I've said this here before, and I will say it again as many times as I have to. At the end of your days, your dreams, your goals, and your accomplishments means nothing when you don't have the people you love. Means nothing when you don't have the people you love. It's destruction, it's ruin. That's part of the reason why many people take jobs that they don't even like just because they make money. That's part of the reasons why we don't help others when we take jobs that don't help others. Because it gives us money. Listen, that's part of the reason why maybe, maybe some of us are working for greedy people. And we don't ask hard questions. That's part of the reason why so many people don't mind being in a place that treats employees unfair and fairly. We don't ask. We turn around. We pretend that nothing happens there. And at the end of the day, what happens is that you are going against your own conscience, and you know it. 
It's almost like if we are selling our souls to something that we know is wrong. So ask the people you love, what matters most? Ask. Ask today the people you love, what matters most? And you will see that greed destroys everything that is beautiful and perfect. Everything that is worth living for. Greed makes you compromise too much. That's why we got to talk about this thing. He doesn't stop there because he says there is a temptation and it becomes a trap and takes a hold of your desires and it leads you to ruin and destruction. But greed has the potential to take you away from faith. Apostasy has the potential to take you away from the very person that loves you the most, God himself. Why do we do this if you do that? Why do we struggle with this so much? Well, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, which we didn't read, says that the reason is because we are putting our hope in things that are uncertain. Meaning that those are things that today you have and tomorrow you don't have. Listen, when I'm preaching, I have the tendency to share with you all my, most of my sins. Not all because then I'll get fired, but most of my sins. But let me share with you something that the Lord has done with me that is not a sin, that he has really given me the freedom to, he has given me freedom. And it's this, that he gave me the freedom to not care about what, about the size of the church. I really don't care how big the church is. I don't care the size, about the size of my house. I do care about my car, but not too much. I don't care about material things. You know why? Because I come from nothing. And the only thing that kept me alive was the people that God gave me. And I'm not willing to sacrifice people for nothing. Not for a job, not for a title, not for dreams, not for the size of the church, not for a car, not for a house. Because last I checked, the most important thing in creation after God is people. Can you see why greed is such a big issue? And we all know that at the end of the day, it's never enough, people. Never enough. There was a French philosopher, a French author that once said this, I coveted everything and I take pleasure in nothing. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 10 says, the love of money will never satisfy. Peter Kraft, I think his last name is, a professor of philosophy in the 1900s, this is what he says, greed is like trying to fill the Grand Canyon with marbles. It's impossible. So let me give you here a summary of what I've been saying and some questions that you must ask. 
Greed is a slavery, therefore you must ask the question, do you possess money or does money possess you? You got to ask the question. If you don't ask the question, you are going to assume that you are okay. Because greed is a disordered love, you got to ask the question, how much do you want money and what it gives you? You must ask the question. Because greed is deceptive, you have to ask the question, do you trust God in, the abundant, in abundance and in need? It is one thing to trust God when everything is going right. It is another thing to trust God when everything is going wrong. Because greed is destructive, you got to ask the question, can I be radically generous? Can you give beyond your means? Can you give to the point that it changes you? Can you give to the point that changes your lifestyle? Because greed is unsatisfying. you got to ask the question, have I experienced contentment? And this leads me to my third point, because I think that the answer to kill greed is the word contentment. And that's exactly what we see in verse 6. Now, what is interesting here, though, is that the text doesn't tell you what contentment is. So I have to use other texts to explain what the word contentment, contentment means. The first text that I have in mind is Hebrews chapter 13, so listen up. This is what the author says there. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So this is what contentment is is knowing that you are going to be okay with the things that you have and even with the things that you don't have. Because God is always present and God always provides. That's what a Christian believes. That regardless of how much you have or don't have, God is always present and God always provides. You don't need to be in control, people. Because if God is present, he is in control. He doesn't need your permission. He is in control. You don't need to worry about how much you have or you don't have. Because if he's present, you are secure. It doesn't matter what you have or you don't have. And if God provides, you don't have to worry about things. You really don't have to worry about things. God always provides. So going back to my testimony, that's my life, people. Son of a single mom. Three kids in Latin America. I cannot recall one evening going to sleep without eating. I cannot recall that. I cannot think of a time in my life in which what I really, really needed was not there. And if you pay attention in your life, that's probably your story as well. God is always present and God always provides. That's contentment. Contentment. 
And the reason why we know that that is true is because that's what the gospel promises. If Jesus lived the life that we have not lived, and Jesus died the death that we all deserve, and Jesus resurrected to give us what we don't deserve, we know that Jesus, God, would always be with us. That's why his name is Emmanuel. God with you. If God took care of your salvation, which was the most important thing ever, what makes you think that he's not going to take care of you in everything else? The second text that gives us a definition of what contentment is is Philippians chapter 4. This is what Paul says. I have learned to be content whenever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it, me what it means to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. The text tells you in two different occasions that Paul learned. I have learned, which means that contentment is something that requires time and intentionality. Let me then help you with that. This is what I call gospel contentment. And these are, these are things that you're supposed to repeat to yourself all the time. Listen up. If greed is slavery, then the gospel is freedom. Therefore, you must tell yourself, I am not controlled by money. I am controlled by, by Christ's love. If you don't do this, you will believe the lie. If greed is a disordered love, then the gospel is an ordered love. Money is not supreme. Christ is supreme. You must tell yourself that over and over again. If greed is deceptive, then the gospel is honest. This is the thing with greedy people. You got to learn how to be honest. I struggle with this, but I'm working out my salvation. You know what that means? And you're going to hate this. You got to learn how to be accountable about your money. You know, in all the books that I've read about accountability, not once I've heard anybody saying that you're supposed to be accountable about your money. We don't tell people, hey, listen, I'm overdoing it in this one. We don't tell anybody. We don't invite anybody to see our checks. We don't invite anybody to see our, 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 our bank account because that's a private matter. You cannot work your salvation unless you learn how to be transparent about what you have. If greed is destructive, then the gospel it restores. Because Christ was generous to me, I can be generous to others. You know how you kill greediness? By being generous. So this is the part when I'm asking for money. You're supposed to be generous toward the church. You're supposed to be generous toward other people. You're supposed to help those in need. You're supposed to give more and keep less. The more money you have, the more you got to give away. That's just how it is, people. You won't be able to break away from this unless you keep keeping for yourself too much. 
If greed is, un is unsatisfying, then the gospel is satisfaction. Everything that really matters, I already have in him. You have been loved. You have been accepted. You have been justified, declared innocent. You have been sanctified. You have been separated for God. You have been adopted in Jesus Christ. He is your father. You are his children. You are every, everything that you could possibly think about that really matters, you already have. The solution to greed is to be controlled by a greater affection. It is to be possessed by God, controlled by his love. You won't find freedom unless you embrace the gospel. Can I get an amen? Like louder? Can you please stand? Let's pray together. Loving Savior, we, we recognize, Lord, that we struggle with greed at different levels. There might be people here, Lord, that are already free from this. But I know for sure that many of us struggle with this. All we have to do is pay attention to our credit cards. All we have to do is pay attention to the things we have. All we have to do is to see how much we give. I pray, Lord, that by the power of the gospel, you give us the freedom to love you more than anything else, to embrace you more than anything else, to be controlled by you more than anything else, to be possessed by you more than anything else, to love Christ more than anything else, that we find Jesus Christ perfect and beautiful and eternal and fulfilling. Please make it happen. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And we all say...